We Infuse Podcast, episode number 16. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast, where we take the confusion out of infusion. And each week we provide you with insights in the infusion industry and interview experts in the space. And in this episode, we have an interview interview with Carrie Calgren, the director of K2 Health Strategies. And I think you're really going to like this episode because she brings some things to light about how to streamline processes in the infusion practice, how to protect the bottom line, and really how to reduce stress for everybody involved from the physician to the back office to the nurses. And she has a really interesting take with with a lot of experience all the way from being an occupational therapist to now being the director of K2 Health and they do consulting all over the U.S. with infusion practice. So I think you're really going to like this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Carrie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, before we jump into all of the things I want to talk to Carrie about, Carrie, I'd like to just give you a chance to kind of share your background some, you know, a little bit of your story and your journey up into this point and in, into infusion therapy. Sure, absolutely. I um, was actually trained as a healthcare provider as an occupational therapist, and I wound up in the pharmaceutical sales space of it. Uh, what's interesting is is that I've kind of been around infusion and these biologics um, since I started out my career. Um, in occupational therapy back in the late 90s, we were just seeing some of the very first biologics come to market. So when I was actually training, we would see patients with rheumatoid arthritis come in with really severe ulnar deviations, which are those really sort of um, very severe uh, hand disabilities and deformations. And so I've really seen how these these drugs that are infused have really changed patients' lives and really eliminated a lot of disability. So that's where I started in my career. And then I went to the pharmaceutical side and did everything from be a salesperson to a trainer. I actually led a a national team of uh, strategic account reps for a while, and we were working on uh, process and workflow in the rheumatology space. And then that sort of led me to where I am now. So I'm now leading this company at K2, and we are teaching and certifying people in healthcare on uh, lean, the lean thinking, and also our, our new product called ARM Approach, which is really helping staff understand how you can implement process improvements in uh, things to help your workflow. Wow, that's great. So you've gone from being an occupational therapist to um, a rep, essentially, to now leading. You've led sales teams, and now you're leading the agenda at K2. So that's that's a really neat to hear your background. And, of course, now I, I want to ask a lot more questions, but I'm definitely going to stick to some of the script here. For, for people that don't know about K2 or haven't heard about K2 before, what is K2 all about? Yeah, so we are a trading company, essentially, and we teach practices to create efficient healthcare experiences. Um, that could be in the infusion suite. It could be in the administrative side. A lot of practices are trying to gear up to be uh, more aligned for value-based healthcare initiatives. Um, but really, it's just looking at your workflow, assessing your gaps, and trying to figure out where those barriers or those bottlenecks are occurring and how you can implement change. So it's just a better experience, not only for the patients, but really also the practices. You've, you've probably heard a lot about the quadruple aim. Um, and that's something that is saying, listen, we know that we need to have value-based healthcare with good outcomes, good costs, good patient experiences. But that fourth leg of the stool, which makes it the quadruple aim, 
it's really looking at burnout of, of physicians and practices. So there's a lot of things that um, cause burnout, but workflow and a chaotic work life really sort of feed into that. Oh, that's really good. And so do you guys work with physician offices and hospitals and startups or I mean, kind of, do you guys have like a niche that you focus on? Yeah, we really have kind of a heart for the private practices, um, but we also do work all the way up to um, large academic centers. We're working with two academic centers in the Northeast right now, um, also looking at their process. But I would say the majority of our customers up to this point, we've worked with uh, practices across the United States, predominantly private practices, but you know, from downtown New York City um, to rural Montana and everywhere in between. So we see a lot of different settings. And so when you talk about coming into a private practice and helping with the, the four areas that you mentioned, a big part of that is workflow, but you mentioned physician burnout. I mean, that's not something that you hear people talk a lot about, uh, at least in, in our circle. So kind of for people that are unfamiliar with that, explain what that means and, and why that's important for the infusion practice. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I can say it's sort of, I grew up in South Dakota and there was a saying that we always would say there, it was, if mama's not happy, no one's happy. And you've probably heard that before. I, I kind of liken that to what we see in healthcare, that if you've got burned out physicians, that trickles down all the way through the practice and ultimately to the patient and the experience that they have. And so from an infusion standpoint, um, you know, there is actually the work that's being done in the infusion suite, but I would guess that most of the listeners that you have for this podcast really see that it impacts the entire practice. So this is from the time that the physician decides to put the patient on the drug, um, all the people on the back end that are doing the work to get the benefit verifications and the prior authorizations, all the way through the different handouts to making sure that that patient gets into a seat in the infusion suite. And then all the process that comes afterward as well, which is getting the reimbursement, doing the bioreconciliation. Um, there's a huge process around copay cards uh, that the pharmaceutical manufacturers supply to the practices. And so this is additional staff and additional administrative burden on the practices and all the different touch points in between. And so really trying to think about how do we make that flow so that the physician isn't getting notes back or alerts back to say, you know, this patient was lost to follow up or didn't get on the drug as we expected. It's just a lot of things that can, you know, uh, hamper that practice or that process. That is so good. I mean, you are speaking my language. That's really what we try to do is go in there and find out with, with all the different, like you mentioned, handoffs that take place, handing the patient essentially in that process from one person to the other in the office and different people carrying out different tasks, just trying to make sure that process is smooth. And and it's interesting to hear you say physician burnout because nurses nurses obviously can get burned out too. And we had a recently had a big practice in the southern part of the United States, start using We Infuse. Before that, they prior to using We Infuse, they were the nurses were charting on paper, and then after charting, after they finished at the end of the day, they would have to go and log into their EMR and put all of that data into their EMR, which took quite a long time because it's such a high volume practice. They're doing I think about 500 infusions a month. So as soon as they got on We Infuse and started charting in We Infuse. We Infuse automated that process to where the information is immediately digitized in, in a lot of detail. Then no joke, no exaggeration at all. The nurses started leaving on average two hours earlier every day. Yeah, I can absolutely believe that. I mean, 
the idea of um, automation with some human touch still involved, right? Was kind of what you're explaining. And that is one of the big pillars of the lean, the lean certification and lean thinking. So, I mean, this really lean came from the world of manufacturing cars. And so people will sometimes think that's sort of funny, you know, how does lean apply to healthcare? But there are so many parallels and that's why that's one of the, the big um, pillars of what we do here at K2 is everything revolves around lean and, and being trained on lean. So it's one of the um, certifications that we offer. So for people not familiar with lean, what how would you describe that? What is what is lean thinking? What does it mean to be certified in lean through K2? Yeah, so K2 actually doesn't do the certification. That comes from the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, or SME. Uh, this is a very well-known, worldwide-known um, certification process and really started uh, in Japan with the Toyota production system. So the way that, you know, they're looking at how do we um, manufacture cars. And so back in the day, it was Ford and Toyota was looking to see, you know, how Ford did things. Um, and it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive that Ford was doing more of what we call a batch and queue. So they were making a ton of product and then pushing it out to the customers. Where in the Toyota production system or lean, what they're doing is saying, we're going to make um, more continuous flow and make the item as the customer needs it or as the customer holds it versus kind of pushing it out to them. And so it's sort of a manufacturing principle at its core, but you'll see lean being practiced in service industries now, um, all different kinds of industries, even at restaurants, I've seen lean being employed. That is so interesting. So it sounds like K2, it sounds like your your expertise is really coming into a practice, identifying areas where it's not lean and bringing in some efficiencies, bringing in strategy and, and, and it helps those four areas or those or those four major outcomes that you mentioned, including physician burnout. Is that correct? That's right. And if you actually look at the, uh, the paper, uh, the physicians that wrote this paper, the quadruple aim, um, they are talking about that fourth leg that I'm talking about, the, the burnout. They actually call it clinician burnout. And so I'm glad to hear you say the nurses are burned out too. I'm not, I'm not glad to hear that they're burned out, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about that provider of care as both the nurses and the physicians, because that's what they lay out in the paper too. And thus kind of the, the whole comment about, you know, it, it trickles down. And if people are not happy at the top or they're burned out at the top, it really kind of has this downstream effect. That's great. Well, you know, we like to we like to talk about the infusion practice as obviously as something that's powerful and clinically speaking, because patients' lives are changed. It's just amazing what some of these drugs can do for the patients. But also business wise, we like to talk about how you really need to have a lot of business acumen to have a thriving infusion practice. And it's clear that you guys help tremendously on that end. And when I hear about your experience of occupational therapy and then sales and then running sales teams and now running running the the strategic agenda with k2 i mean what's one big takeaway you would want our listeners to learn from your main area of expertise today yeah you know i think you know the the market is just changing things value-based healthcare is is just changing how practices have to do business and how they interact with their patients and so i, I guess two things we really need to be thinking about that patient experience the patient value stream and what is valuable to the patient on the one hand. And on the other hand, I would really encourage people to look at their processes. And I know that's not a fun thing to do. It can seem cumbersome. Some people hear process and they think bureaucracy is sort of a headache. And we really look at it as innovation and ways to be 
more strategic. Um, and so I think just taking small chunks and approaching process improvements in small chunks and trying to make that a culture of what you do every day, that's, these are the practices, the infusion suites, the hospitals that are going to end up being well positioned to move into this value-based care, you know, the two-sided risk contracts and some of the things that are coming and coming very quickly. That's good because I think a lot of these infusion practices, everybody's so busy, no one is taking the time to stop, take a step back, look at the big picture and consider how are we doing things? How can we do them better? Which is why it's so great that somebody like you can come in and say, hey, we better take a moment to figure out how we're getting from point A to point B because we're wasting a lot of time and we're getting off the beaten path and we're doing things, we're working harder, not smarter. So I think that's, I think that's great. Well, well, let's switch gears a little bit. We know that in the infusion practice, just like any other business, there's there's challenges and there's triumphs. So let's talk about maybe one of the biggest challenges that you faced in the infusion therapy world. If you could give us a specific you know, story or example or just a trend that you see that stands out as something that's really challenging for this space. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the bioreconciliation process is probably one of the most difficult things for practices to to put into place. Um, and so it's the whole concept of a little bit what we alluded to earlier from, from the very beginning to the very end. So even as you're looking at your inventory coming in and being shipped to you as a practice, um, there's just a lot of um, different ways of doing things and not necessarily standard protocols written out or, or trained on to each staff member. So for example, when that box comes with all the medication, who's unpacking that box and what is the process for doing that? And I've seen some really great best practices and I've heard of some opportunities where we can really improve on things, um, you know, looking at expiration dates and sort of that FIFO or the first in first out way of thinking. Uh, this could be even, you know, regarding your saline, um, you know, are you putting the, the um, expiration dates that are gonna expire sooner at the front and putting the newer inventory in towards the back? Um, are you having mistake proofing sort of um, processes put into place? So, for example, I'll use saline again. Um, you know, when you hang that bag of saline, are you looking at the expiration date? And we're teaching practices, you know, take that sharpie marker and circle the expiration date so that you know it's a, kind of a two step check to make sure that you're not, you know, doing something with uh, expired product. Um, there's all sorts of things that kind of kind of happen and a lot of times it happens in the handoff processes so in the bioreconciliation bio, bio process once we have used drug and then we've restocked it how are we communicating that back to the rest of the office and sometimes we're seeing people use paper logs on a clipboard that sit on a desk somewhere and it makes me think of a practice that Crazily enough, they had flooding issues from their sprinkler system twice in nine months. So you think about this one sheet of paper that's logging everything and, and lots of um, you know dollars worth of drugs being ruined by a sprinkler system overnight when their office flooded. So do you have a backup record of that somewhere? So so I think just that whole process of, you know, again, it's not fun. It's kind of like balancing your checkbook. But it's so incredibly important because this is one of the biggest revenue um, pieces for a lot of these offices. That's great. That's something we see a lot. I know that when I when I step into an office, one of my questions is always, "What do you do? Is how, how do you manage your inventory?" And I've seen extremes from we don't manage it at all. We just order in bulk to 
very sophisticated systems, but most of the time what we see is either something like a spiral notebook or some sort of paper log, or at best an Excel spreadsheet that has to be updated manually. And of course, over the sake of over the over the course of a time, um, over the course of about a year or so, it's impossible not to make any mistakes. And so that's one of the things we're really passionate about with our platform as well is the nurses can chart. The software is going to tell the nurse, pull these two vials. You know, if it's Actimera, it's going to tell the nurse, pull one 400 and pull two eighties. And it's automatically going to record the NDC lot and expiration date of those vials. The software also pushes forward. Like you said, first in first out, it's going to push those vials with the most um, closest expiration dates to the present forward and do all of these things and automate that process. And then when the nurse closes out the nursing note, it automatically deducts those vials from the current inventory. And we're very passionate about that because when I can get a, an office manager or a head nurse to open up about the challenges they've had or the mistakes they've made, some of those mistakes are so costly, whether it's scheduling a patient before their authorization approval date or scheduling a patient for an infusion and their insurance term three days later, but they went ahead and gave them the infusion anyway. And just the breakdown of communication between the back office staff and the, the nurse or mistakes in the inventory, getting the buy and bill inventory and the specialty pharmacy inventory mixed up. There's just so many little details and it's so easy to make a mistake. But it, as you know, with these vials, I mean, you know, you could be on the line for $10,000 with that mistake. Yeah, absolutely. We've heard of people saying that they, you know, a couple of years down the road, they went to move the refrigerator or something and found a vial under the refrigerator or just, you know, all these different stories and or things even just like I was mentioning before, when the drug comes in, how are you unpacking that? And I've heard some best practices where they actually take the lid off of the uh, styrofoam piece and they put it physically somewhere else to make sure that when they're cleaning everything out of that box, nothing kind of falls, you know, to a hidden corner or gets left behind that potentially could get thrown out. So just really being vigilant about, um, you know, tracking every single piece. So and I think your software is a fantastic solve for that. So what's one big piece of advice with that said, and you mentioned the story with the sprinkler system. I w I'm going to use that story, by the way, in the future. <laughs> but what, what's one kind of piece of advice with that for people that are, that are listening? You know, I, I would say it's a, it's a quote, um, not my own quote, admittedly, but the quote goes, a bad system will be a good person every time. And so the people, our staff and the nurses, the people that are doing this work, they're healthcare workers. They have huge hearts. They really want to do the right thing. No one's doing anything intentionally, incorrectly. But if you don't have process and you don't have a system set up, a bad system is going to be the good person every time. That's so good. That's very helpful. I mean, we, we push for that too, to make sure you got a, you have a strong process in place so that everything's not determined on the person in place. And it's just, that's so good. That's a great quote. Well, let's, let's change gears and share another story with, with everything you've experienced so far. I mean, I'm sure you've gone into some practices and helped them with their processes and seen things turn around or improve in a way that brought the practice to better clinical outcomes, better financial outcomes and stuff like that. So with, with everything that you've seen, share what what's like a big light bulb moment that you've had or a big aha moment that you've had when you've been interacting with all these different practices? Yeah, you know, it sounds kind of simple, but I think just spending time in the workplace, in lean, we call that spending time in the Gemba. So Gemba is a Japanese word for uh, where the work takes place. And every time that we think, oh, hey, we've got to solve, right? We work with infusion centers all the time. We know what their problems are and their issues are. 
everyone is so unique in the way that they do things. So I, I would say to really understand the, the process and to really find the best target condition is to go out and to spend time in the infusion suite. So I encourage offices all the time or practice administrators, try to take some time and think it through and spend time just watching the flow, the movement. Um, there's eight different ways you know, that we can teach people to look for. And also to think about it from the perspective of the patient. So as you're the patient sitting in the chair, sort of what's happening around you. Oftentimes, you know, they're in very cramped spaces and there are ways to set things up differently and try to have more of a continuous flow. Um, we're working with a practice right now who is kind of making the infusion chair itself almost sort of like the, the workstation cell. So they're doing just what they need for every day. They've got a little station that kind of rolls up next to the chair and it has just exactly what they need for that day for that many patients. Um, so that when they're doing things, they're not running back and forth to the mixing station or the nurse's station. So it just sort of decreases the, the busyness and the chaos in general of going back and forth and having a lot of wasted motion. So it can be really simple things, um, but that's kind of a neat one that I've seen and it kind of came from the idea of the dental chair in dental offices and how the patient stays central and things move around the patient, um, it's all right there instead of having to go back and forth a lot. That is so neat. You know, it's very rare that I, I personally have heard of somebody bringing this kind of strategy when it comes to managing your workflow, even your personal workflow, because now you're talking about the nurse and them not having to make an extra trip to get a supply or, or get something like that for the patient. I just think that's so intriguing. Now, let me ask you this. How many people or how many practices do you come across that are already doing this kind of stuff? Because it seems to me it would be pretty rare. Yeah. And you know, the ones that get really excited about, you know, implementing new things are typically the ones that are pretty savvy already. Um, and they're kind of in a place where they can implement some of these new, more innovative ways of thinking. We have an awful lot of practices that say, listen, we've been doing business through SPP and doing white bagging, and we just want to get more into a buy and bill sort of mentality of doing business because of the site of care and changes that are coming out from more of a sort of payer and regulatory space. So we see them all across the board, but the ones that have kind of figured out the, the, the business side of infusion, they're not ready for that next level of how do we really improve this and, and make this good for the patient. When you sit back and look at, okay, what's the patient wanting out of this experience? What do they want at the end of the day? What steps are we taking all along that journey with them? you can start to see a lot of waste and things that the patient doesn't necessarily need you to do, um, but we're doing them because we've just been always doing them, right? It's sort of the status quo. And so by sort of mapping things out and drawing them out on paper, it makes it come to life so much more. And you kind of sit around as a group and say, gosh, do we need to be doing those things? Can we eliminate some of those things? And there are steps that we have to keep in place too because of the payers, but it's very interesting to sit and really with an open mind, look at your processes. Well, I like that because going back to this scenario, like you mentioned with the dentist chair, I mean, that that really would make a better experience for the patient. I mean, it's you you are doing things, putting processes in place that are that are going to ensure better patient care, a better environment the the, the staff is going to have a lower stress level because things are smoother and stuff like that. But I have to ask the question that is going to come to mind for a lot of business people that are thinking about investing in infusions practices or starting one how do these things impact the bottom line? I mean, what I know they will, but from your, I want to hear you talk about when you come into it and you use this lean strategy, how does it improve the financial situation? 
Yeah, it absolutely ties to the bottom line. So, I mean, you think about, um, I'll give you kind of a general example and then bring it back to infusion. So if you think about the hospital and the OR suite, and you've got all these different teams coming in, right, to use the OR suite, and they weren't having a standard way to turn over that operating room between each procedure, the hospital then that comes in and says, let's make this a standard process so we can really guarantee our turn times because we know if we're more efficient there, we could get in another procedure uh, in that suite in one day transfer that idea or that thinking over to the infusion suite. If we have a more efficient office or a more efficient infusion suite, can you feasibly get more seats um, or you know, more infusions done? Or can you stagger the way that you schedule so that you can have um, more opportunities for more infusions to be done? Um, I've had an office that was not using um, pumps, right? And so we were able to find them a way to do get pumps in and re, kind of rearrange their schedule a bit so they're one nurse they had was able to still safely and effectively increase the productivity of how many infusions she was able to provide. That's so good. And I love those examples. Thank you for, thank you for sharing those. And now there's, you know, about 10 more questions I want to ask you offline. Otherwise (laughs) this interview is going to be two hours, but, but that is so good. And I, I think that's great because you have to solve both problems. And obviously if the physician runs a practice that is making mistakes because of a cumbersome or sloppy process, even though everybody's trying very hard to do a great job, if you do have financial mistakes, you can't keep your doors open. So you have to focus on the financial aspect and at the same time, focus on the clinical side, which is why I think the the physician practice with with the infusion suite, it is a challenging business model, but I, I think that obviously it's also one of the most rewarding because you're changing people's lives and you have a lot of revenue running in and out, in and out of the office. So, I just think that's great. Well, let's let's switch gears another time, one more time here, and tell our listeners with what you're doing now with K two and everything. What are you most excited about right now in your business? I'm really excited about um, this new program. It's called the ARIM certification, and stands for uh, ARIM, which is Assess, Recommend, Implement, Measure. And so, what we were really realizing was that. It's great to have the lean certification um, and really understand the theory and some of the tools behind that. But what people really want to know is how to implement things. So we're hearing things like, you can talk strategy and you can talk theory to me, but how do we make this happen tactically? And so we've created a, a course really just aimed at the, the staff workers, uh, people that are gonna be you know in charge of the change management in these practices. And so we're helping them now understand better um, how do we do this. So there's three parts of that of that course, and it's really looking at some of the theory and the rationale behind lean, but also showing them practical tools they can start using almost essentially the very next day after they learn to use them. And then the last piece of that is how do they lead their teammates through change? So in one of my previous um, roles, we had done some studies to, to understand you know where are the where are we falling down when we want to implement change. And it's significant, only 15% were able to go back and implement an idea or a concept that they really bought into, really wanted to participate in, but because of things we've mentioned here today, they're too busy, they're burned out, all these different things really hamper them to be able to pull it through. And so the biggest waste of resource is putting time and effort into something that never goes anywhere. And I think we've all seen this happen where we do something new, we train on it, two weeks, two months, whatever goes by, you go back and we've kind of gone back into 
the old way of doing things. So I'm really excited about this course because it's really talking about leadership and how to, how to lead through change and make sure this sticks. And it's a really nice opportunity too for practices to offer to their staff some sort of professional development. They don't always get that in the private practices. I don't know, Carrie. I mean, I, I can't really identify everything I start. I complete. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is this, is this a certification that people get through K2? It is. Yep. Okay. And is this like, is this in-person training? Is it an online course? Is it a mixture of the two? How, how does that work? Yeah, so we're going to roll it out so that it's an online course and offices can get, um, you know, licenses for it for their staff. We also are going to make it a workshop so we can kind of create it or customize it. We're going to be um, doing some um, experimenting with it. Um, we're working with the NORM group right now, which is the National Organization of Rheumatology Managers. And then we'll also be um, working with some other state societies uh, in the rheumatology space and just kind of trying to figure out what works best. But right now it'll sit online or be available as a workshop. That is exciting. And so at, and at the end, uh, be, be sure to remind me if I don't mention it, but I definitely want to ask you how our listeners can get in touch with you before. But before we get there um, and just hearing what we've heard, I mean, you, you clearly bring a lot of expertise to the table when it comes to the ideas of lean and improving things and everything we've talked about what's this is going to be hard but what's one last parting piece of advice for our listeners when it comes to the infusion practice one last piece of advice i would say just go ahead and get started even if it's something small go ahead and get started and to really try to create this culture of problem solving so that people are willing to admit when there are mistakes or when they see opportunities for change, they'll bring them forth uh, and make it more of a, a learning environment, a culture of problem solving. Uh, I think if you just start small, all these little things over time do build up into something more significant. That's so good because if, if we do have that attitude and we're all on the same team and no one is threatened or feels like they're under attack and we can focus on solutions and pro solve problems, that's that's great because then we can actually deal with areas of weakness and not feel like anybody's going to get, you know, tackled because they did a bad job. That's so right. That's really good. And so to make sure I don't forget, how can people follow up with you or get in touch with you? Yeah. So we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and on our website is just k2-health.com and our email is hello at k2-health.com. So k2-health.com. You guys can check out their website. You can learn more about Carrie and connect with her on LinkedIn. And I just think it's great. And again, I really do want to follow up with you offline and, and learn more about these things because that's our goal as well is to really just be helpful as much as we can to improve efficiency and, and do it not to the level that you guys can, but offer a software solution to help with that process. So Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And for those of you that are listening and have not done so, be sure to check out more podcast episodes on weinfuse.com. And if you haven't seen a demo of the software and would like to see one, be sure to request a demo today. Just head over to weinfuse.com to get more valuable content on the infusion practice.